But last week, we started a new message series on Sunday mornings, going through Ephesians chapter 4 and talking about growing together as followers or disciples of Jesus Christ. After all, that is what it means to be a Christian, to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of the world, resulting in a desire to follow after Him. And we saw in our passage from last week, from Ephesians chapter 4, that this was described as the calling you have received. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, then the calling you have received is to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus himself told people in this world to come and to follow him. And just before his ascension back into Heaven, he told his followers to go and make disciples or other followers of him. So that is our calling as believers to follow Jesus Christ and our task to produce other followers of Jesus Christ. And part of following Jesus Christ, as we saw last week from the first section of Ephesians chapter 4 is maintaining unity within the body of Christ, being unified as believers in the church. We saw the command there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, that we're to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And last week I said, based on that passage, that really that passage in a nutshell means that we are to be united in Christ, because of our position in Christ. Because we are Christians, because we have come together as followers of Christ, we ought to be united together in the church as the body of Christ. And the good news is that we are not left alone to accomplish that task. It is not simply up to us to try harder to be unified and to grow together and to mature in our faith. In the divine plan of God, Jesus has made provision. And the example and the church, the formation of the church as his plan to carry out his good and our growth in both unity and maturity. So look with me now at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in Verse 7, not only has God given us his spirit to grow in unity and maturity, but he has gifted us with grace gifts or spiritual gifts in the church to grow together as believers in the body as well. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, four short letters that Paul wrote to various churches in Asia Minor. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. I feel led to tell you this morning that I love 
God's Word. I love the Bible. I don't know what your response was uh, after reading these few verses just then, but I'm going to be honest. Going into this whole series on Ephesians chapter 4, this was the passage that I was least excited about preaching. Because when I read that passage, in light of this chapter, at least on first glance, verse 7 is really the only one that makes much sense to me, especially in the context of this chapter. And beyond that, I have read enough and heard enough Bible teaching, as most of you probably have as well, to know that that there are various opinions and interpretations on what exactly is being communicated here, particularly uh, as it relates to verses 8 through 10. But all that to say, we study this passage this morning because it is crucial in our understanding of discipleship and growing together in Christ. If we're going to walk through Ephesians chapter 4, we have to understand it and know it in its biblical context. And so we study this, this passage this morning because we believe, like Paul himself said in 2 Timothy, that all Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Even passages like this. And so don't go to sleep on me this morning. The Bible is true when it says that the Word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And I love Scripture because I've found that even passages like this, that upon first reading you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with me? And I don't know what your response was as we read that just then. Maybe you were thinking that this is, uh, you zoned out because this sounds irrelevant or or unpractical or, or just really doesn't speak to you in your life today. But love Scripture with me this morning for just a few minutes as we walk through this passage together. So back to verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So in the verses just prior to these few, verses 1 through 6, we saw that, that Paul, through the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 4, built this foundation for our unity in the church That because there is one body and one Holy Spirit and one hope and one Lord Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, because of all these ones that our faith is built on, we as believers should stand united together in the church. And that's what the church is. It's a body of believers that have united together to follow Jesus Christ. When we think of the church, we often think of a facility or a building. But according to the Bible, the church is a body of believers. And so look around. Look around at your neighbor. Look around across the room. The people in the... None of you are actually doing that. The people in this room comprise the church. The people here comprise Meadowbrook Baptist Church. And that is what we are. We're a united body of believers that come together to grow 
and our walk and our relationship with Jesus Christ together. But we're not just a community, although that's what we are, but we're comprised of individual believers, individual Christians as well. And that's what Paul was getting at in verse 7 when he said, but to each one of us, each individual in the church. You got to love how Paul connects this particular section to, the, to verses 4 through 6 with the word one. All these ones, one body, one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one spirit, one God. Now to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Or as some translations read it, appropriate to each measure. So each one of us, each believer, each Christian in the church has been given grace by God. And we see in this verse, verse 7, that Jesus equips all believers with grace gifts to grow in unity and maturity. Jesus equips all believers with grace gifts to grow in unity and maturity. Now upon first reading of that, verse 7, what does it sound like? It sounds like Jesus dispenses variations of grace, different levels of grace, perhaps because some people are worse sinners than others, right? I mean, that that sounds sounds logical. It makes sense that, that a mass murderer like Adolf Hitler requires more of God's saving grace than somebody like Mother Teresa. That's logical to us, but that is not the heart of this passage. That's not what's being communicated here. What's actually being communicated here is that God equips believers in the church with his equipping grace to grow together as a body of believers. We spend a lot of time focusing on God's saving grace, that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he poured out his grace on us, taking the wrath of God that we deserve so that we in turn, those that believe in him and trust in him, can be saved, and rightly so. That is the greatest display of grace in history. But God's grace is not not a one-time thing. It's not like a a one-time pill you take. It is an ongoing work, like we just sung about day by day. God's grace is evident in the life of believers and in the life of the church on an ongoing basis, like an IV that we are hooked up to, that God is continually working in our lives, dispensing his grace among us. And you might, you might question, well, how do we know that? How do you know that, Chris, that this particular passage is about grace gifts, equipping grace of God versus saving grace of God? And we know that by the context. And anytime we study scripture, whether it's as a as a church or as individuals, we want to know what Scripture says in its context. And memorizing Scripture is so good and so important. But it's even better to, to study a passage in its context and then know what we're memorizing. Or even better to memorize sections of Scripture together so that we know the Bible in its context because it communicates through its context. And as we'll see in our, our next passage next week, that... In this case, through Christ, God equips believers in the church with these grace gifts or spiritual gifts, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
And so we know that this particular passage, God is talking about equipping the church to carry out its calling, to be unified and to grow together in maturity based on the context of this passage. And really what's being communicated here is just like in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, where, where Paul is writing about grace gifts and different people receiving different amounts of grace according to the various gifts. What is being communicated here is that every single one of us in the church, all believers, have been gifted with gifts through Christ to grow together as believers of Christ. And we've been equipped and gifted with the exact amount of grace necessary to carry out the task of each individual gift. So God does not leave us alone to grow up in our faith. His plan has involved a church, a diverse body of Christians that unite together around the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we saw last week, but ultimately are gifted in different ways in order to grow up together in unity and maturity. So Jesus equips all believers with grace gifts to grow in unity and maturity. All right, now to the fun stuff, verses 8 through 10. Look back at verse 8. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. In a nutshell, we learn in verses 8 through 10 that Jesus has conquered all evil powers. Jesus has conquered all all evil powers. Now, I know that sounds simplistic and completely unrelated to what we're talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4. But I promise you, that's what it's saying, and it fits together beautifully. So hang with me here. All right, back to verse 8. This is why it says, or this is why Scripture says, or this is, this is why God says, and then Paul quotes this Old Testament verse. And many of your Bibles probably have that kind of uh, sectioned off where it looks different. It looks like a quotation. And if you look in your Bible, it probably has a footnote at the bottom of verse 8, and you go down and you see that there's a reference to Psalm 68, 18. And so in some way, Paul, when he's writing Ephesians chapter 4, is using Psalm 68 to say something about Jesus Christ, this one who equips the church to be unified and to grow in maturity. You say, wait a minute, Psalms, that's the Old Testament, that's before Christ, what's going on here? But being the biblical scholars that you are here at Meadowbrook Baptist Church, you also know that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God's Son, is eternal. He's been around with God from the beginning, John chapter 1. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. And you also know that the story of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is the central story of Scripture that all of Scripture points to. And so we're not too unsettled by the fact that Paul is saying something about Jesus by quoting the Old Testament. But what is a bit more unsettling, and if you look closely, and in fact, if you looked in your Bibles back to Psalm 68, verse 18, you would see that that he actually misquotes Psalm 68, 18. That's a bit bothersome. And what he does, he not only inserts Jesus with the pronoun he for God the Father, 
which we've already determined that because Jesus is God, that's okay, that doesn't bother us. But he changes from God being the one that, that takes gifts or receives gifts from his enemies to Jesus giving gifts to his people. Now, in the context of Psalm 68, it's about God. It's about Yahweh. It's about the God of Israel conquering his enemies. And then he goes up on a mountaintop and he leads his captives with him. And then he takes gifts or treasures or plunder from them. And now Paul is saying that, that Jesus has conquered captives or enemies. And instead of taking gifts, he gives gifts to men. Now, it's important for us to understand that Paul knew Scripture. He knew what he was doing. He didn't misquote Psalm 68. Rather, he was using Psalm 68, adjusting it slightly for his purpose in Ephesians chapter 4. And his purpose in Ephesians chapter 4 was to focus on Jesus Christ as the gift giver, the one who equips the church with spiritual gifts by his grace. Verse 7, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led captives in a train and gave gifts to men. Verse 11, it was he, talking about Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. But verses 9 and 10 are where there's a little bit more disagreement. Who is this Christ? Who is this one who has conquered enemies and now gives grace to his people? He is the one who ascended and descended. The one who ascended is also the one that descended. And I believe that this is, this is what led Paul to Psalm 68. Because he was thinking about the ascension and the descension of Christ. And he was led to an Old Testament familiar passage where God is the one that, that ascends to the mountaintop. Showing his strength and showing his power. And so what does it mean that Jesus ascended and that he descended. Now be honest. This is one of those passages where people disagree. And really smart people disagree. On one hand. Suffice it to say that some believe that this is a reference to Jesus' incarnation. He was in heaven with God. He descended to the earth. And then he ascended back to his rightful place in heaven. Makes good sense. On the other hand, others believe that that somehow through Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, he descended into the realm of the dead or into hell and then back to his rightful place with the Father in heaven. As much as I know that you are eager to spend hours discussing that, we don't have the luxury of doing that this morning. But I can remember hearing in seminary when two people that were two of the smartest people that I think of when I think of knowing Scripture completely disagreed on this. But I'm going to go ahead and assume that even though this is not a central component of our faith, i.e. something that we should ever break unity over, I'm going to assume that there's someone out there that wants to know what I think about this. And so I'm going to tell you. 
Because verse 9 says that he ascended, talking about who this is, talking about Jesus, the Son of God, ascended. He also descended to the lower earthly regions or to the depths of the earth or the lower parts of the earth. So since the grammar says that he descended in that way rather than uh, that he descended to the earth or to the lower parts, I tend to think that some, somehow Scripture is communicating here and a couple other uh, New Testament passages as well that in Jesus' death and triumphal resurrection... Somehow he descended into the realm of the dead to proclaim victory over all before ascending then to the right hand of the Father. And I tend to agree with Frank Thielman that this refers to the reach of Christ, the reach of his power, the reach of his victory, the reach of his strength. That this is a merism of sorts presenting two extremes, that his power it's to the lowest of lows, and it's to the highest of highs. He reigns supreme. And this is why the, even the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus descended into hell. Again, disagreement on what that means. But ultimately, what is being communicated is that Jesus has conquered all evil powers. That he reigns over all. That his victory is known on earth, in the heavens and under the earth. And one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and following. In Christ, God exerted his power when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head of over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Jesus has conquered all evil powers. So Jesus has given grace gifts to the church, to grow in unity and maturity. Verse 7, verses 8 through 10, Jesus has conquered all evil powers. Now, what in the world, as we bring this to a conclusion, what in the world do these two things have to do with each other? Why did Paul couple these two truths together in this passage? And this is why. Because the same one who has conquered every evil power is the one who equips believers with grace gifts to grow in unity and maturity. The very same God, Jesus Christ, the same one who has conquered all evil powers, also equips believers in the church with grace gifts to grow in unity and maturity. This passage, verses 7 through 10, in the context of Ephesians chapter 4, is about the status of, of that one, Jesus Christ, the victor, yet the giver. And this is not the way that we are used to people operating today. We're used to giving honor to those who have power, who have status, who have authority, not receiving honor from them. We think of successful 
men and women. We think of movie stars and professional athletes and valedictorians and political leaders and others who have done well, who have made a name for themselves. We don't expect really to get anything from them. Instead, we honor them because they're somebody important. And neither should we lowly creatures expect special treatment from the one who has all authority and all power and who sits at the right hand of God. Yet special treatment is exactly what he gives us. The same one who has conquered all evil is the one who gives believers in the church grace gifts to grow in unity and maturity. And this is sort of like a, like a lion. The king of the jungle going out and in his strength, in his stealth, in his speed, and in his agility, capturing a gazelle and then freely giving it to a bunch of hyenas. The one who has the power, the one who has the strength, the one that owns the land, freely giving his plunder to a bunch of worthless, despised scavengers. I know some of you ladies are wondering when in the world I'm going to come up with an illustration that you can relate to. (laughs) But we are talking about the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is the king of kings. This is the almighty one. This is the rock. This is the head of the church and the lion of the tribe of Judah. And yet he has conquered all evil powers through his sacrificial death and triumphal resurrection, not simply for himself, but for the sake of the church. That is the God that we serve. A God who has all power and all authority, yet is overflowing with grace. God not only saves us by his grace, but but he equips us to grow as faithful followers of him day by day with his grace. And following Christ is not simply about doing better or trying harder. It's about responding to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. This is why our, our Wednesday night children's program titled Growing in Grace is so appropriate because that's what we are called to do. Not simply to try harder in our own efforts with our own strength. That's called legalism. And apart from the grace of God that lands people in hell. But as the people of God, we ought to look to the king, the one who is filled with all grace, And under the prompting of the Holy Spirit, when we do so, we are compelled then to go out and to live for him because we desire to know him and to grow in him with other believers in Jesus Christ. So has your heart been captivated by the great grace of God in Jesus Christ? That is the beginning of growing in Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Have you responded to his grace? Maybe for the first time you have recognized that 
that you're dependent on His grace to be saved, to be forgiven, to be right with God. Or maybe for the first time you've recognized that you are completely dependent on the grace of God in Jesus Christ to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've simply been reminded from God's Word that our growth each and every day as the people of God, as individuals and as the church, begins with acknowledging that Jesus is the one who has all authority and who overflows with great grace. You respond to the grace of God today. Maybe that means God leading you to, to formally join with this body of believers to use your grace gifts, your spiritual gifts with this church to grow together with other believers as a body of Christ. Maybe that simply means crying out to God and asking Him to save you, trusting in Him for salvation for the first time. Either way, you respond as God leads you in just a moment when we begin to sing together. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You for Your grace. Lord, we thank You for the church. We thank you that you are the one who has accomplished victory for believers, both individually and as a body of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength and the desire and the ability to continue to keep our eyes fixed on you and to grow together with other believers as we seek to know you more and to grow in our walks with you. May you be glorified in us. Lord, may you hear our praise this morning and be delighted in it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.